Hello, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Well, a number of years ago, I was out in Utah with my brothers-in-law, and we were hiking around, checking out all the amazing places in the south of Utah, Arches National Park, um, and we decided we were going to go hike in the Devil's Garden. Um, which is, uh, you know, garden sounds like a nice thing, but then think of the devil's garden, Satan's little garden. And it was uh, a place that is in Arches National Park that all the guidebooks say you need a guide to hike through this place. But we didn't need a guide. We were a bunch of young guys that thought we knew what we were doing. So we're like, whatever. And it was a hot day. It was 114 degrees in the shade. But we're like, ah, we got a bottle, you know, we got our Nalgene, each one of us have one of them, so let's go into this labyrinth that they say you need a guide to figure out, and it'll be great. So we find our way in, which was tricky enough, but as we walk, we are totally turned around, we don't know where things are, you can't really see the sun because you're in a valley, Uh, but then it comes through at different places, and And we just realized, instead of just enjoying our time, it was a race to get out of there before our water ran out and exhaustion set in. And so we're walking, and we come around a corner, and we see this. I took this picture in Devil's Garden, came around. We are sweating and scared and running low on water, and here's this beautiful desert deer just laying down, not real concerned. And what you can't see is, is just to the, our right, as you look at that, was its fawn. So a mother and child laying down in this horrible heat and, and dry place, but they were so calm. And we walked by and they just watched us, probably thinking, you fools. And we were looking for a way out. We were looking for a destination. We were looking for a place to get out of that situation. But this deer had discovered that it could be a place where it could rest, where it could rejuvenate, where it could endure the difficulties of the day, even in the midst of the devil's garden. And today we're going to talk about God's plan for us in those times finding places of prayer in the midst of this, that so many times you may be looking for an outcome to your situation and God is calling you to a place of prayer. Or you may be looking for an exit to your pain and God is calling you to sit down and make it a place of prayer. Or maybe you're seeking relief from the struggles of life and God is saying, would you just stop and make this tragedy a place of prayer? So as we've been doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting here, this is our third Sunday. We have one more week stretching in front of us to pray. I want us to look at the the reality that there are many places of prayer. Our big idea, in fact, is there are many places of prayer. It's easy to sometimes think, uh, oh yeah, in church we pray. Or at my bedside, I pray. Or at the dinner table, I pray. And those are all wonderful places to pray. But if those are the only places you pray, you're missing out on so much that God has for you. So much peace in the midst of the storm. So much refuge in the midst of the beating sun of life. And today, God invites you to the many places of prayer. 
The scripture we're going to use as our guide here, as our outline, is Mark 135. And, and we believe that the word of God is inspired by God. It is truth. It is living and active. And like it teaches us, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can get right to the middle of your situation. Cut out the cancer that may be growing in your spirit and bring you to a place of health and life. It also is rejuvenating. It's like bread that feeds our souls. So if you're hungry today or you're struggling today or you may not even care about the word of God today, I want to invite you to open your heart to receive the word of the Lord. Mark 135 is speaking about Jesus And it describes his life like this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So just a reminder, when we say pray, what we mean is communication with God. That's what prayer is. That's the the definition we've been using through this. And really kind of the best definition I've ever heard of prayer is communication with God. It is sharing your thoughts, your ideas, your desires with him, but with also, also assumes that he's going to speak back to us, that he's going to communicate back to you. Prayer is not a one-way street. It's a two-way conversation. And then it's God that we talk with. Not the universe, not some energy force, not some ideology, but a God who knows you and loves you and created you. So that's what we mean when we say prayer today. So the first place of prayer is to pray on purpose, a place of purpose in your prayer. Not just accidental prayer or if it happens today kind of prayer, but prayer that is planned, prayer that has a purpose to it that will take place. Having intentionality in your prayer life. Man, I know I have gone through seasons of my prayer life where it's just like popcorn prayer. Like if the heat and pressure gets enough, poop, it'll pop. And there's a prayer opportunity, you know? Not so much intentional every day I'm going to, like this verse says in uh, Mark 135, and very rising very early in the morning, that, that Jesus had made prayer a regular habit. But sometimes we let prayer just be reactionary, Um, I don't know if any of you are reactionary. I, as I grow up and becoming a little more mature, but I can easily be reactionary in my life. Something happens and I react to it. Rather than saying, hey, let's make a plan. Let's work the plan. Let's see the plan come to fruition. No, this thing happened, let's react to it. This, uh And it's okay to respond to things. And I don't think God dislikes that kind of popcorn prayer. He hears it but it's meant to be the exception rather than the rule. It's meant to be supplemental to the planned prayer that he has for us. A woman I worked with back in college, um, we worked at the Dayton Hudson Operations Center, DHOC, collecting credit card debt from people who had shopped at Dayton's and Hudson's and Target. And it was a terrible job that I hated, but the hours were flexible and the pay was good and I was a college student. So I worked there. And I worked with this woman who was about my age, 20 years old, 21 years old, and she had recently gotten married. She had grown up in Minnesota. That was her life, just a Midwestern girl like, you know, any one of you out here. And yet she had married a a Muslim man and through that process had converted to Islam. And while she was there... She talked to me and said, you know what, 
because we, you know, I shared my faith with her. She shared her faith with me. We had a really good open conversation about what we believed. And she said, part of what I am told and taught is to pray five times a day. And the Muslim people pray five times a day. They'll lay out a prayer rug and kneel facing Mecca and pray five times a day. And so what she did, because this conviction of prayer was so deep on her life, and she wanted to be a good Muslim woman, is that she went to HR and said, I need a room by myself at these times every day so I can pray. And, and the Dayton Hudson Corporation said, okay. And they, they cleared out an office for her that was just being used for storage, and that became her purposeful place of prayer. And it really gripped my heart. It really convicted me because I thought, am I that intentional about my prayer? Now we see there's a religiousness to that. There's a humans grinding away to try to please God. But in her, I saw this was a love for her God. A desire to live out a life of devotion to her God. And so it changed my viewpoint towards scheduling prayer. Realizing if those who are serving God in a false way or a false God can do this, why can't those of us who know the living God, who knows Christ, who has died for our sins, risen from the dead, is coming back for us, loves us more than we can imagine, why wouldn't we schedule our time around him, making Jesus our priority? And sometimes, you know, uh, those of us in the spirit-filled Pentecostal world, we're like, we're just going to let the spirit lead. I don't want to be legalistic. So whenever the spirit leads me to pray, I'll pray. I find when I do that, some days I totally forget to pray because I am a human and I don't always let the spirit lead me. Sometimes this guy leads me. Sometimes this guy leads me. And I forget to pray. So one of the ways the Holy Spirit moves is through intention, through planning. Did you know God is the greatest planner in the universe? Did you know before the world began, he knew what your tomorrow was going to look like? It's not unspiritual to plan. In fact, sometimes it's the most spiritual thing there is to plan to spend time with God. He is worth our time. Such devotion and intention is what God is longing for, looking for. And we see so many instructions in the Old Testament on how to pray. There were ways to approach God, certain times of the year even, with certain offerings, and, and all that has been fulfilled in Christ. So we don't have to go through all these steps every time we pray or face a certain direction. But we see Daniel doing that. We see Daniel of Daniel in the lion's den fame making prayer a scheduled reality of his life, a chosen thing through thick and thin, through when the temperature was cranked up and when no one was paying attention. Both those times we see him pray. And as we pick up in Daniel 6, 10b here, what's happening is his enemies saw that he prayed so regularly that they passed a law to say he couldn't do what he's doing. You ever have a law written just for you? Has your faith ever been so obvious that there is a statute that has been put on the books because of it? Well, Daniel did. That's the kind of man Daniel was. He was 
dedicated to prayer. He did it regularly. So three times a day, he would open his window that faced Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where the city of God was. And he would pray to God. And after this law was passed, which said anyone who prays to anyone but the king, they will be killed. This is what Daniel did because it was such a part of his practice. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Daniel stuck with it. See, he wasn't reactionary in the environment or culture he lived in. He had been taken out. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with hundreds of others, have been taken out of their culture, placed in a completely different culture, pressed on by that culture to do things that were anti-God. And he didn't react. He said, oh, I know what I do in these situations. I know what my regular practice is. I don't have to freak out or figure it out. I'm going to keep doing what I always do. And in that, we see there were great consequences to that. He was grabbed. He was thrown in the lion's den with hungry lions. Now, miraculously, God shut the mouth of those lions, which is wonderful. And then all those who accused him, they got thrown to the lions and chomped up. Wouldn't that be great if it always turned out that way? But it might those that are shaming you or coming against you because of your dedication to the Lord, I find a lot of times God has a way of working things out. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So rather than us getting all worried about the culture we live in, all turned upside down and, and reactionary, we can have this regular, purposeful rhythm of prayer that carries us through that communicates with God through thick and thin. Maybe you're the other side where you find if things are going good, you forget to pray. And you pray only in the trials. Like, okay. But if you have a regular rhythm of prayer, whether things are good or bad, God is worth it. I find, and I've heard it said, if you want to know the values that someone holds, look at where they spend their money and where they spend their time. Look at their bank account and their calendar. I want to put God on my calendar. I want God to have a place that is set aside for just me and him. And just like I wouldn't cancel a doctor's appointment, or I wouldn't cancel an appointment to, to meet with someone, I'm not canceling my appointment with God. And here's the beauty of if you put God on your calendar, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I already have something on my calendar at that point. Isn't it crazy how we value people's calendars? We're like, well, I guess there's no arguing with that. If it's on your calendar, there's no way you could ever possibly change a digital calendar. We honor that in each other's lives. So why not put God in a place that we honor him? And the other thing I find is it reminds me. My watch beeps, my phone beeps. It reminds me, hey, stop. This is God's time. Talk with him. Jesus happened to do it very early in the morning. And I've even heard sermons saying, you better pray in the morning. That's the holy time of God. Well, it was the time Jesus was at his best. So I say, when are you at your best? For me, it is not 2.30 in the afternoon. That is when I'm at my worst. I've had lunch, my brain starts turning to jelly, and I better not try to do anything creative or important at that time. 
When are you at your best? Maybe it's morning, maybe it's afternoon, maybe it's lunchtime. I don't know, but find that time. And I would just want to speak to parents with kids, especially young kids. Where are you? Parents with young kids. Yeah, you know the chaos. You know the way planning doesn't really work out too well. Find a time that works. Find that time. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that. Because you may have a perfect plan and then all of a sudden a kid throws up or a diaper blows out or they're up all night long and you're like, well, there goes my plan for the day. God understands that. God is a God of the real life. So say, God, help me. Help me when my plan goes sideways to invite you in and find those times. But if you have more control over your schedule, if you have more uh, autonomy, find that time and stick to it. God is worth it, and he will meet you there. He is waiting for that. He's like, I've been waiting. Here we go. Let's talk. Let's connect. So we have to find a a place of purpose in our prayer, a place of intention in our prayer. The next place we need to pray is pray in your pain. Pray in your pain. When things hurt, when there's places of pain in your life, make that a holy place of prayer. We want to make that plan of prayer to prayer on purpose, but that's not the only time. Praying in our pain is so incredibly powerful. The way this verse is put together, it hints towards this. While it was dark... Jesus went, another translation is solitary place, but I love this term, desolate place. Those are incredible times to talk with God. When your world is dark, you don't see the way through. You're trapped in the devil's garden, and you don't know how you're getting out. You feel desolate, not just alone, That's one thing. Solitude is one thing, but desolation, it means there's nothing alive, nothing growing, nothing sustaining. And it can be easy to have a few reactions in that, can't it? To get mad at God? Where are you? I thought I was supposed to have this life to the full. I thought you're going to lead me beside quiet waters and restore my soul. How come I have lived for you all this time and this is what I have? How come my body is broken? How come my mind and emotions are twisted? How come I don't have the finances to pay for my kids' food? What is going on, God? How come this person said this about me, or how come I've been forgotten by others? That is a beautiful place to pray, to call out to God, to invite him into your pain. Pray in your pain. Psalm 34.18 says, God even spends special attention and time on those who are in pain, who are hurting. It tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God sees you in your pain. You just call his name out. This reminds me of... uh, the Red Sea moments of life. The Red Sea is a sign of of entrapment. Um, 
We even see right now the Red Sea, there's some strife and, and struggles going on there. But for the children of Israel, they had been in slavery for 400 years. We talked the other week how they called out to God. They made a noise and God listened to them and then set them free. After the 10 plagues in Egypt, then finally the children of Israel are set free and Moses leads them. And the Bible says Moses wasn't just leading them, but there was a pillar of fire at night of the presence of God that went before them and a pillar of cloud by day that they could see the manifest presence of God with their eyes, both morning, evening, uh, and evening. And it was just there for them all the time. So they started following God. They started going the direction God led them and God led them right to the shores of the Red Sea. And as they're standing there, that pillar is hovering right out over the water, right in front of them. And they're looking at Moses and Moses is like, I'm not making that thing move. We're just going where God leads us. And all of a sudden, little kids are starting to say, mommy, what is that? What is that? And people are starting to feel something rumbling and all of a sudden then their ears start hearing it and they turn around and they see the sands of Egypt being cast up into the air and they realize that Pharaoh has been fed up and even after all these 10 plagues when he said go he has decided it's time to finish the Israelites once and for all. And the greatest military force on earth is bearing down on the Israelites and they're standing there looking at this cloud hovering at the shore of the ocean and looking at Moses and saying, what is going on? God's led me here. Shouldn't things work out? God's led me to here and shouldn't I have a clear path forward? But it seems like the enemy is on my tail and I'm between a rock and a hard place and there's no way out of a situation. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those Red Sea moments or not, but they're terrible places to be. Your faith gets shaken. Fear rises up. We tend to run to our own solutions in those times. At least that's my normal reaction, my fleshly reaction in those times. And again, as they had learned to do, as they were in slavery in Egypt, they cried out to God. First, they cried out to Moses saying, have you let us out here to die? What's this all about? And Moses is like, I'm just a guy. I'm 80 years old. I'm an old man. And I'm just doing what God's telling me to. And I can imagine his heart towards God was like, God, you've brought me this far. I didn't want to do this. You remember at the, the burning bush where I was like, no, no, I use someone else. I'm not good at this. And God wouldn't let up. And so he did it. And here he is. And as they are crying out to God and Moses is questioning God, God says, Moses, lift up your staff. Lift your hand in the air with the thing I've given you to steady your walk, lift it up. And when he does that, the Red Sea begins to part. And there's all kinds of different theories about this. You know, you see it in the movies and it's these walls of water pushed up on either side and they walk through on dry ground. But some have studied that area and said it was a strong wind that came and it was a low season of water. And so it pushed back just enough that there was a sandbar they could walk through. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us when they were between the rock and the hard place, the Red Sea and the military, God piled up the water on either side, and they walked through on dry ground. 
I don't know if you've ever been near the edge of, of an ocean, but that ground is not dry even up from it. Or if you start digging holes, right away you get to water. This was a miraculous move of God. And all the children of Israel walked through. But as they're walking through, Pharaoh is getting to the shore. And he and his army start bearing down on them. Go, get them, they're there. As they're probably looking at like, what is going on? I don't know, but we're going to get them. And as the last Israelite gets across the shore on the far side, and the last Egyptian warrior gets into the midst of that Red Sea parting, God pulls his hand back and the waters rush in and destroy the enemy of God's people. And if you are in a Red Sea moment, that may be the very moment of deliverance for you. Call out to God. You don't need the right words. You don't need a fancily formed prayer that, Lord, I beseech thee on behalf of your grace and goodness through the blood of Jesus Christ that you will descend right now and deliver me from all that comes against me in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Help! Help! What's going on? Help! That's the kind of prayer you can pray. In fact, I want to give us an example of what that kind of praying looks like in that time. The kind of prayer that God listens to when we are in our pain, when we are trapped by the Red Sea in the military. We see Peter. Peter, who was the bold one, the brave one, the brash one, the I'll go wherever you want me to go. I will follow you to the end, Peter. So it's one of these times where Jesus has gone off to a solitary place to pray and his disciples know what the schedule is so they get in the boat and start going across the Sea of Galilee and a storm whips up. And that's Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, wind can come in and the waves can just hit hard. The geographical area it is, it causes big storms to hit out of nowhere. And these guys in these, this boat, many of them were fishermen. They had made their living on this this lake, so they knew it. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew how to deal with it, but it got so intense they couldn't even handle it. And they, they're looking out, looking for the shore, trying to make some kind of reading to know what direction to go. And they look out there and they're like, it's a ghost. It's, guys, look, there's a ghost walking out here. There's a ghost on the water. They see what they think is a ghost. And then some of them are looking, they're like, no, that looks like someone I know. The way he walks, the way he moves, even the clothes he's wearing, that's Jesus. I know that guy. I've spent time in his presence. I've talked with him. And in the middle of my storm, I can see Jesus coming to me. And Jesus is out there walking on the water. And I have no idea what that looked like. I mean, was he like surfing on the water? Was, was it just solid step after step and the water's just lapping around him? That's probably the reality of how it went. And Peter says, call me to come to you. Lord, if that's you, ask me to step out and come to you, and I will. And Jesus says, come to me. And so Peter, on the rocking boat, gets over the edge, and his foot hits the water and doesn't go through. And he starts walking to Jesus. He starts walking towards his Savior, the lover of his soul, the man that called him when no one else thought he was worth anything. But all of a sudden, that wind is blowing. He's feeling it. His hair's starting to whip. The spray is hitting his face, and the waves are lash, lapping up against his leg. And we read in Matthew 14, 30 through 31, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's Peter's prayer in his pain. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Lord, save me. Are you in a Lord, save me moment? Have you started getting so used to the pain, used to the entrapment of life, used to the wind and waves that you've just decided it's up to you to deal with it? It's up to you to find the solutions. It's up to you to fix it. I want to encourage you to cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And in fact, worship team, can you come on up? We sang that song earlier today, Firm Foundation. And this wasn't in the plans today, but as we were singing it this morning, I just felt like God say, at the end of your second point, we're supposed to sing that again. So we're going to sing that song again. Jessica will lead us in that. And um, the words of this song fit this passage so well. But if you're going through something that you know you need God to show up, you're between the Red Sea and the army, you got something ahead of you you cannot beat yourself, you need to cry out, Lord, save me. Let the song be your cry. Our prayer team will have you come on up right now too. Prayer team, you can go to the right or left. And those of you who are elders, trusted ones, you know who you are. You can come and be a part of that time too. But I just want to give us a chance to respond here and not rush through this moment. I know just a few of the pains and trials that some of you are facing. But I know there's unspoken things that you walk through that are deep waters and you feel like you're drowning or you don't see a way through. So what we're going to do is just respond to the Lord. Humble ourselves. If you want to come to the front and not pray with an individual, but just spend time in the presence of God, do that. If you want to do that in your seat, do that. If this is all new to you and you're like, I don't understand this, just know the Holy Spirit is here. God loves you. And he wants to meet you right where you are, not with your perfect prayer or perfect practice. Maybe you haven't spent time with the Lord. You haven't purposefully done that in a long time. Well, this is your time. So go ahead, team, if you're ready, and we'll just let the Lord move. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Meet us in our pain. Meet us in our rock and a hard place. Meet us in our devil's garden this morning, we pray, Lord.
Thank you so much that you meet us right where we are. 
We don't have to go to a temple any longer or follow this giant list of rules to prepare ourselves for your presence, but we can just say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, guide me, protect me, provide for me. Give me what I need. Help me be the, the man, the woman, the child that you created me to be, Lord. Thank you that your presence is with us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask that you will call us to times of prayer. You will call us to places of prayer. That this will certainly, yes, be something we choose to do, but it will also be something we long to do. Because the lover of our souls has invited us to a conversation. The one who set the mountains in place and can move the seas wants to hear our our cry, our thoughts, our ideas, our heart. Lord, I pray right now for anyone who struggles with that, that you'll give them a grace, you'll give them an ability to just pray the simplest of prayers and let it grow from there. Let them become comfortable in your presence, at ease with you, that they can truly spend time communicating with you. If you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to be the leader of your life, the Lord and Savior of your life, he's here waiting to connect with you. The Bible tells us we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we'll be saved. That confession is more than just saying words. To confess that he is Lord means you turn away from your sinful living, your old way of living. You repent from that and you turn all in to Jesus. I had an opportunity this week to see a person do that, to, to make a considered choice to follow Jesus. It's powerful. But you can make that choice today. And I'm going to pray a prayer that just asks Jesus to forgive us, to give us the grace to repent and turn to him and let him be the leader and the Lord of our life. And if you want to do that, just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need help. From the outside, my life may look fine, but I know what goes on in my mind and my emotions. I know what I do when no one's watching. I know the way I think and the way I judge others, and I'm sorry. I ask you, forgive me of my sins, but I also repent from them. I turn away from sinful living, from sinful lifestyles, and turn to you, Lord, leaving that in the past that I can live in your freedom. Though it's hard to believe, I believe you love me and you died for me and rose again. I give you my life today. You are my God and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit now. Your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and please join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. for our worship service.